for the Athletic Podcast Network. I'm Kate Scott. This is the update. On today's show, as baseball continues to struggle over what the season will look like, how much players will be paid, and all the other details that every other major sport here in the States seems to have already figured out, baseball did accomplish something last week. They actually got through the 2020 amateur draft. Way to go, baseball. And with their top pick, the Giants took another catcher? What? Let's discuss with senior writer and longtime Giants beat writer, Andrew Baggerly. It's Wednesday, June 17th. Well, Bags, another draft in the books. And with the 13th overall pick, the Giants took Patrick Bailey a catcher from North Carolina State University. But didn't they just spend a first-round pick on Joey Bart? Didn't Buster tell you in spring training bags that he wants to be a giant for life? Help us make sense of this Patrick Bailey first-round pick. Yeah, I think if you were to sort of handicap this thing going in and just say, you know, okay, from a sort of organizational need basis, what's the last thing they would draft? And it would be a college catcher. And lo and behold, who do they draft but a college catcher? And so that tells you that they really like the skill set. They really like the bat. They like the fact he's a switch hitter. He was off to a great start in his junior year before, obviously, it was limited to 17 games because of the pandemic. He's someone that they have followed very closely and had a lot of information on, which obviously, I think having some certainty and feeling some certainty making a safe pick was going to be important, given that they didn't have the level of scouting reports that they normally have going into the draft. I think that it was a pick that was probably on the conservative side, but it's someone that they're like, you know what, we don't draft for need, or as Farhan Zaidi said it, we don't draft for perceived need. And you never know, they might trade Joey Bart, he might not pan out, he might not hit for enough contact to be an above average major league player. And you can never have too many catchers in your system, especially if you want to have like multiple catchers on your roster and you sort of goose as much production out of that position by maybe having three guys start 50 games apiece. Who knows? And and they move around and play other positions. So I think they just saw a guy who was versatile and was probably the best bat available. What are the similarities and differences between Bailey and Joey Bart? Well, Joey Bart's just a big, strong guy. I mean, he's just a physical presence, definitely a guy who has more swing and miss and has the the power tool is really his calling card offensively. He's not a Buster Posey where when they drafted Buster, they were really concerned is, is this body going to hold up? You know, they basically said, look, this bat is so good. The skill set overall is so good that even if he, he doesn't have the lengthy career, the peak is going to be so overwhelming that we're going to go with him. And it's the same reason they took Tim Lincecum and and sort of set aside concerns about his durability. And they had him scouted right. Lincecum wasn't a guy who was in the big leagues for 15 years, but the peak was overwhelming. And they obviously put some rings on a lot of people's fingers. So, you know, Bart is, is the most physical of all those guys. Bailey is not quite as physical, but he's definitely been catching a lot longer than Buster. Bailey's been catching since he was eight years old. He's switch hitting since he was 11. Wow. Uh, he had a, a coach tell him, hey, the fastest path to the big leagues is being a switch hitting catcher unless you're a left-handed pitcher. And, uh, so <laughs> yeah. Bailey being right-handed was like, well, I can't can't be a left-handed pitcher, but I can <laughs> I can learn to switch hit. So just a guy who's played a lot of baseball and, and was on a Team USA's under-18 teams and was very uh, uh, decorated performer a couple of years with them as well. So you've seen him face a lot of high-level pitching, and that makes a big difference too in terms of trying to chart out, hey, who do we have a really good idea is going to be a safe pick, who's going to be a major league contributor. 
What do you make of the idea, Banks, that catching isn't going to be as important in the years to come? So a lot of people are questioning why the Giants are now kind of loading up with the expectations of an, an automated strike zone and the ripple effects of that. That's a really interesting question because I think you can kind of play both sides of the coin on that. You could say all the pitch framing data, all the ways that we see value in catching in terms of people who are pitch framers, that may go out the window with an automatic strike zone. And yet you might say, well, if the defensive value is lessened because of the pitch framing, then that kind of makes it even more important that your catchers are offensive minded and are bringing more value on that side of the ball. So I kind of liken catching now to what sort of happened in the late 1980s, going into the early 1990s with the shortstop position. You used to be happy to have Jose Uribe or a Mark Belanger or these guys who would just catch everything and hit 220. And obviously that changed with Miguel Tejada and A-Rod and uh, Nomar Garcia para. And now you may see it with catching. I mean, teams are looking to get as much efficient production as they can. And that may mean rethinking how you deploy your resources at that position. Plus, there's so much more that goes into catching from mental side with all the data that's available. It's it's almost like let's have multiple people be in charge of this and not just put it all on one guy to go out and catch 130 games. All right, so they take Patrick Bailey, a catcher from NC State, in the first round. And then in the second round, they stayed here in California. They selected third baseman Casey Schmidt from San Diego State University. I know it was only two picks, but versatility seemed to be a commonality that jumped out to me. What about you, Banks? Yeah, so Casey Schmidt is a guy who's a third baseman who has just a great arm. Uh, He was the number three hitter for San Diego State. He's a San Diego kid from Chula Vista, and he was used as their closer as well. In fact, uh, when he played in the Cape Cod League, he was on an innings limit of 21 innings. That's all that San Diego State was going to allow him to throw. And he'd thrown exactly 21 innings, and his manager for his Cape Cod team called up the San Diego State coach and said, you know what, can we have him for one more inning? Because we got a championship game to play. (laughs) And so sure enough, what did he do? He hit two home runs in that game and he pitched the ninth inning. So you can understand why the Giants were drawn to this kid. He's he's (laughs) got a lot of talent. Now, of course, when the pick goes off the board, we're all thinking, oh, here goes Farhan Zaidi. He's all about the two-way player, you know, getting as much versatility on that roster as possible, a switch hitting catcher, now a two-way player. But they kind of threw a wet blanket on that a little bit and when we were on the Zoom call with Michael Holmes, the scouting director, and, and Farhan. They said, you know, this is a guy that we see as an everyday player, a third baseman, a really good defender, and a good hitter. And that's what we were drawn to. And yet, it's a pretty interesting guy they came up with in the second round. And, you know, that was just two of their picks, and, and they were able to pick seven, uh, where most teams only had five. Yeah, so let's talk about that. What should Giants fans know about the rest of the guys that the team selected last week? What I thought was interesting is all the rules have changed. It's only five rounds. It's not 40. How are they going to operationalize within these totally different rules? Are they going to do something that no one's expecting and take all college players or all high school players or all hitters or all pitchers? You know, last year, their first seven picks were all hitters, and that was kind of by design. So I think the story is, the narrative out of this draft is that there really wasn't a narrative. What they did was they got as much information as they could. They felt really good about their prep going into, say, January, February, going into the season. And when everything shut down, rather than be on airplanes and in rental cars and scouting all these games, they were able to kind of hunker down with the information they had and have much more open-ended conversations, breaking down swings, breaking down player progressions. So what you ended up with was 
kind of an all over the place draft. If there's any one trend is that they took six college players. And I think that has to do with, hey, if you're only going to draft seven guys, you need to be pretty certain. And the more data you have on the college guys gives you a little more credence that those picks are going to be a little more certain. But they took a shot at a high school player, Kyle Harrison from De La Salle High in Concord with their third round pick. He's a guy who they're probably going to have to sign to quite an overslot bonus to get him out of his UCLA commitment. But the word is that he will sign with their two picks as compensation for Madison Bumgarner and Will Smith. They took Nick Swinney, who was Patrick Bailey's battery mate, a left-handed pitcher from North Carolina State. So kind of makes sense for Bumgarner's pick. They get a, a lefty <laughs> who, who hits right-handed, who's, uh-huh. who's from North Carolina. Yeah. And then for the Will Smith pick, they took Jimmy Glowenke, who was an infielder from Dallas Baptist, a real good hit tool, had a little arm injury, which is why he was DHing early, probably a second baseman in the major leagues. But, you know, I asked Farhan Zaidi, I said, look, you played it out the way you did. You didn't trade Bumgarner. You didn't trade Will Smith at the July 31 deadline. You decided to remain on the fringes of contention, let those guys hang with Bruce Bochy to the end of his retirement. And now you're left with these two players that you know who they are now, Nick Swinney, Jimmy Glowenke. Do you have any regrets with how it played out? And he said, we would have taken either of those guys at, at 49 when they took Casey Schmidt. So they were ecstatic. They were both there. And he said, you know what? We got to serve the present and the future. We got to take a shot at it while we were still in contention with two very important players. And we did get compensation in the form of two guys that we think are going to fill needs within our organization. And then down at the end of the draft, they took two more pitchers, RJ Dabovich, who is kind of a a big stuff guy, not a lot of command. He's a a reliever. And then Ryan Murphy from a little college called Lemoyne College based out of Syracuse. Their team mascot is the Dolphins, which of course you associate Dolphins (laughs) with Syracuse naturally. Of course. Um, And and he's he's a 6'1 right-hander and and more of a guy who's an all-around four-pitch mix pitcher. So they got a little bit of everything in this draft. Yeah. Okay. Well, and and you mentioned it, uh, Dabovich from Arizona State, one of their last couple of picks. I know it's only a small group from each school. I think three now from NC State, a couple from ASU after they took Hunter Bishop from the Devils last year. Have the Giants found some preferred college programs moving forward? What do you think? Well, it is interesting when you do zero in on somebody, especially for your first round pick, you're going to get a lot of looks. And sometimes it causes you to take a harder look at a player you otherwise might not see. You see a little glimmer of something there that maybe because you've watched them enough times. That's happened with a lot of teams over the years, with a lot of players who are drafted. You know, it's, hey, we didn't really intend to take this guy, but uh, you can even go to one of my favorite stories is about Matt Cain. Uh, Lee Elder was the giant scout sent to look at Matt Cain's high school, and he wasn't there to see Cain. He was there to see another kid named Connor Lawler, and he had mono, and so Cain pitched instead. <laughs> and that oh, was wow. sort of like, okay, we're on this kid. Now we got to make sure nobody else knows about him. So, wow. yeah, there's all kinds of draft stories like that. That's awesome. Well, I don't want to age you, Bags, but I know you've covered a few of these. What are you going to take away from the draft this year? What I take away really is I'm kind of crushed for for all the people who won't get the opportunity to play baseball. And there's so many great players who have become stars. And they were taken in the sixth round, seventh round, way beyond that. And those guys got a chance to keep playing and to keep getting coaching and instruction. And some of them blossomed and turned into big leaguers. And it's going to be really hard to have the opportunity to further your baseball career. And that opportunity 
is going to cascade down too for all of the players who would have been drafted, who would have left. Now they've got the extra year of NCAA eligibility so they can stay. That's going to mean fewer scholarships for incoming freshmen because the freshmen that were supposed to play are still academically sophomores next year, but will be freshmen. It's going to really lead to a squeeze. And I think there's a lot of kids who won't get the opportunity to keep playing. And You know, you think, well, do they really need that many minor league levels? And is it really efficient? I mean, no, they're trying to make it more efficient, more cost effective to develop players. But we know that a lot of players that we think are sure things never make it. And it just stands to reason the bigger the pool of players that you're drawing from, the more little surprises you can have here and there. And the better the game is. It means that more people have matriculated and more people are talented when you get to the top level, when you're drawing from a bigger base. So, you know, I think it's just one more thing where we're not going to get more athletes. We're not going to get more players who are going to have an opportunity to make something of their baseball career. They're going to go do something else. And we already were in a situation in baseball where a lot of really good athletes were not choosing baseball. So I think it's bad for the game overall. And I really feel for a lot of the kids who are stuck, who won't be able to play. Yeah. Great perspective and insight as always, Bags. Thanks so much for stopping by. Thank you, Kate. One of those players in limbo because of what Bags mentioned there at the end was actually Darren Baker, son of Dusty Baker, known for both that brief appearance in the 2002 World Series and more recently for his stellar work manning the middle of the infield, not to mention his bats and his great base running skills over in Berkeley. Baker announced on Twitter that despite his disappointment in not getting drafted this year, instead of signing with an organization, he's going to head back to Cal, play out his redshirt junior season and complete his UC Berkeley degree. Baker led the Bears with 18 hits, five multi-hit games, including a 3-for-4 showing against number 10 Michigan this season before baseball was canceled because of the pandemic. Meanwhile, the Giants' third-round pick and the only high school player they drafted this year, the 6'2 lefty Kyle Harrison out of De La Salle, well, he decided to pass on his commitment to UCLA, as Bags mentioned the team expected him to do, opting instead to begin his pro career and take the $2.5 million signing bonus the Giants offered. If you're thinking that feels like a ton of money for the 85th overall pick, well, you're right. But the Giants knew that they'd need to go big when they selected Harrison if they wanted to lure him away from Westwood and the sunshine of Southern California. And apparently 2.5 mil did the trick, understandably. Before the Spartan season was shuttered, Harrison went 21-1 and with a 1.19 ERA for De La Salle. To read Andrew Baggerly's coverage of all things Giant, and to listen to his fantastic Giants podcast with Grant Brisby, just head to the description notes of our podcast here today. Don't forget, you can now listen to us through any of your Google devices. Just tell your assistant, play the update with Kate Scott podcast. As always, if you're enjoying the podcast, we'd love for you to rate, review, and subscribe. For all of us here at The Update, thanks to Andy for stopping by. Thanks to you for listening. I'm Kate Scott. Have a safe and healthy few days, everybody. Looking forward to talking to you again on Friday.